This is a wonderful career. You work with smart people. It's challenging on the financial side, but it's a fascinating, challenging career because you're working with science and technology, and you're also working with the patients who need you to do that right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, we are joined by Robert Still. Bob is the Executive Director of the Radiology Business Management Association, or RBMA. Bob has been involved in the organization since 1992, serving as past president, member of the board of directors and federal affairs committee. He has served as the practice manager of Lancaster Radiology Associates for over two decades, overseeing the diagnostic radiology services for multiple medical practices. Additionally, he has held notable positions as the chief clerk of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, CEO of brain orthopedic spine specialists, and most Different from anyone on the podcast, Delaware State Senator from 1986 to 1990. In early 2020, Bob launched his own podcast, which I'm a big fan of, called A Word with Bob. I'm personally really excited to have Bob on the show this week. The RBMA is a really interesting organization. We'll get into it. We've been a partner of theirs for some time, helping both radiologists and specifically business managers within the radiology world navigate the complexities of building, owning, and running a practice. And to his experience in this in this field, he's seen uh, radiology from pretty much every angle there is. So super excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Bob, for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. Looking forward to chatting and appreciate uh, Modality's support of RBMA. I first found out about MRI online. I think I was in Mississippi. I met Kelly and, and she was just exploring RBMA and possibility of marketing. So I appreciate you all stepping up. You've really grown and it's really a cool product. Yeah, thank you. Well, the partnership has been mutual and we're big fans of yours. So so tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? How'd you find your, your winding path into radiology? Uh, I have a varied background. I have to tell a story. I'm not bragging. I never thought of my resume as being interesting. It's just been kind of my, <laughs> my pathway, my professional pathway. And uh, Lancaster was a home of Armstrong World Industries, which has gone through bankruptcy in many different versions. But the former CEO there, Bill Adams, Bill and I got involved politically in Lancaster several years ago. Bill looked at my resume and I was, he goes, yeah, the most interesting resume I've ever read. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you've done so many different things. And I'm like, oh, I consider that to be a compliment coming from a guy that was the CEO of, of a major kind of industrial home, you know, industrial organization like that. So yeah, my pathway started in Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and a big family. Went to a Catholic school there for 12 years and then went to Indiana University and got a degree in education and started teaching, like most of my family were teachers. So kind of an interesting pathway into management. Well, and I understand you were one of seven, is that? Is one that of right? seven kids, yes. God bless my mom and dad. You know, we're baby boomers, you know, after the war. Although dad was in the army, got drafted late because he was a teacher. So he didn't really have her have to go into active war zone. Uh, the war ended, but part of that generation. Yeah. So I, um, number five of seven, my mom used to say to my wife that she assumed I was a good kid because she doesn't really remember me as a kid. So I must've been. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. must have seven kids to be able to make a comment yeah. like that. But we weren't the biggest family in the extended Kelly family. 
I had an uncle had 11 kids, another uncle had eight kids. So I lived in a kind of the quintessential post-war neighborhood where everybody walked to school, went home for lunch. It was uh, what you remember on TV, all that stuff. That's the way it was. It was really a great neighborhood in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah. Well, and Lancaster is still a pretty small town from what I gather. So it, it is, uh, yeah. You haven't gotten too far away from that you know, yeah. community feeling. Lancaster's an interesting geographic location because it's you know, like an hour north of Baltimore, an hour to Philly, a couple hours to New York City. It's, so there's a lot around that area. You can get to a big city pretty quickly, which we do. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the RBMA. How did it come about? Sure. Um, and how did you find your way to the organization? Sure. Well, the RBMA st- was founded in 1968, so 55 years ago. Wow. Yeah, I've been around a long time. And the impetus was when Congress passed the Medicare law the so- under the Social Security Act in 1965, part of the, you know, Johnson's Great Society was to, you know, we need to cover seniors. At that time, I think it's like 20% of all seniors had health insurance and that was it. So Medicare was founded along with Medicaid. And as part of that, the whole process of, well, we found this guarantee health coverage for seniors, you know, how will hospitals and doctors bill for it? So there was this great debate about part A would be hospital billing and part B Medicare would be physician billing. And the story goes that there was a physician, Dr. Joseph Calhoun in Arkansas, radiologist, a very involved with kind of the emerging, where does radiology fit within Medicare? At that time, many radiology groups, hospitals billed for their services because they were, you know, part of that, they call it the RAPS physicians, radiologists, anesthesiologists, pathologists, emergency room physicians, people that work primarily in and around hospitals. A lot of groups, the hospitals build for those services. So, you know, there was this great debate over where did those physicians kind of sit relative to part A and part B? Should they be in part A because they work at hospitals or part B? Are they really independent physicians? That kind of thing. So Dr. Joseph Calhoun, who was one of the helped found RBMA. In fact, our biggest award to a member is the Calhoun Award. He was good friends with, at the time, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, from Arkansas, a congressman, Wilbur Mills. And Wilbur Mills was a powerful member of Congress at the time in the 60s. And he convinced Wilbur Mills that radiology should be part of Part B Medicare and should bill under Part B under the physician fee schedule. And that influence, Dr. Calhoun's influence, that's what enabled, that's Mills basically put it into Part B and all of a sudden radiologists could bill independently. And it shows you the influence of one person in Congress. Well, but absolutely. It really and we've had, we've system. actually had a congresswoman on our show, right. a more recent congresswoman talking yeah. about how radiology, you know, she led basically all the work to ensure mammography screening is covered by insurance oh. as part of the Affordable Care Act. And then you mm-hmm. know, the second stage of that, you know, later in the decade. But right. it's been a common theme on the podcast is the importance of advocacy. Yeah. And yeah. here you have maybe one of the earliest stories, earliest examples of physician advocacy, radiology advocacy in particular, sure. having sort of a profound impact on you know, the interests of the field. So what are the yeah. downstream effects of that decision? How does that well, impact the field? You know, what happened back in the late 60s, early 70s was 
all these uh, at the time called office managers for these radiology groups, primarily women. They were, you know, they were women that did transcription, executives, you know, they did everything for the doc physician groups. They were tasked with trying to figure out how to bill Medicare, how to bill independently. And, you know, one thing leads to another and a group of them get together and develop the Radiology Business Management Association. It was uh, founded in the state of Illinois. Their first meeting was in Chicago. The topics included, you know, like, how do we build? How should we set up physician retirement systems? Those kinds of conversations. And we still have those conversations. So it was professionals getting together and talking about and sharing information about coding, billing, collecting, you know, managing revenue cycle. That was really the basis of RBMA. And it still is the basis of our existence. How do we correctly manage a physician group so that the group can continue to run? You know, how do you code? A, we have forums, management forums on, in RBMA. One of them is on, just on coding. Our doctors want to code it this way. We think it should be coded that way. And everybody shares about the best way to code an interventional radiology procedure or something like that. So it's really a, a critical part. And our motto that developed was called progress through sharing. And still today, you know, the networking, the sharing that these professionals do is really critical to, you know, developing very good management and group practice. So it's a real simple formula, but it's do gotten you, much more complicated. Do you miss the days of paper billing? No. No, <laughs> you, you you change the complexity for the progress that well, you know, it's interesting. I, technology side. Yeah, we uh, we used to have a state radiology practice managers group here in Pennsylvania. Every quarter we'd meet, there'd be, you know, 20 of us, 30 of us. And uh, there was a woman, I forget her name. She would be there from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Pennsylvania. She was a physician relations person and she'd review issues that they were finding. And then the person that managed physician payments for the Medicare intermediary here in Pennsylvania would come. It was really a great forum. But she said one time, you know, we get, Lushula, Pennsylvania gets 82,000 pieces of mail a day. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, when you bill, you better make sure it's right. Cause there's 82,000 pieces of mail a day that come through our, our operation here. That was paper. Yeah. And we would get, you know, when you get a check from an insurance company or Medicare, there's a payment advice that goes along with it. There's a paper that says, you know, this check for $100 is for this patient for these two x-rays. Okay, and then a payment poster applies that into the system. Well, back in the paper days, the Medicare payment advice was, you know, a box full of paper. And hmm. we would have staff, the payment posters would go through that line by line. And of course, now it's all electronic and you don't see the paper check. So the the advancement of, Revenue cycle of billing software has just been phenomenal in terms of being able to bill and collect and manage revenue cycle and shorten those average collection days, et cetera, for everybody. Keep some money flowing. So the the technology has improved, but the reimbursement levels haven't. The right. past 15 years have seen a pretty consistent decrease in mm -hmm. physician payments from Medicare, mm -hmm. what are the key factors contributing to this downward trend? Take ourselves out of you know the radiologist point of view for a second, put your yeah. government hat on. Why are they thinking this is a path forward? And then we can maybe put our radiologist hat on. So I'm not gonna quote the year of the legislation, but 15 years ago, I'm trying to think it might've been, well, I'll, I'll be wrong if I quote it. Even when I was a Senate, I never kept track of bill numbers. So I still don't today. 
But several years ago, Congress basically established a path forward financially for Medicare and for hospital billing. The Medicare physician fee schedule is basically a pie that doesn't grow. Okay. So when Congress established uh, the process around the Medicare physician fee schedule, there's no inflationary factor. So in order to keep everybody in that pie pan, they adjust in between different specialty groups, but the pie doesn't grow bigger unless at year end, Congress in their wisdom decides to throw some more money into the pie, which maybe makes the cuts smaller. When they established the hospital billing system, which is called HOPS, the hospitals get an inflationary adjustment mm. every year. So their pie grows every year. The doctor's pies do not grow every year. And that is the basic flaw in the system and one that you know physician organizations have been working on, a lot of conversation around that in the past year to include a, a Medicare economic index, established it so that there would be an inflationary factor built into the physician fee schedule. A lot of reasons why it didn't happen. Probably part of it is going back to as simple as when it was established, nobody thought about it. And, you know, if you're not there at the beginning, it's not going to be there in 10 years either. That so, you know, in a nutshell is what happened. Do yeah. you as an advocate for radiology mm -hmm. in that experience, do you feel like you're in a zero sum game against the other specialties and so you're, you're trying to say radiology is important but primary care isn't so you should yeah you know, it, pay us it, more it, and, and pay them less how, how does that yeah. conversation work well it's a careful conversation because there has to be a balance in my experience managing a radiology group i could tell you in lancaster pennsylvania those radiologists are very close to the primary care physicians they've supported them they've taught them and they have a mutual respect for one another you know, now when it comes down to battling over the pie, <laughs> that's a little bit different. But you, you have to have some empathy for the position primary care physicians are in. And part of the issue is the Medicare physician fee schedule is based around kind of procedurally based medicine. So, you know, radiologists dictate one procedure after another, one report after another. And primary care physicians don't do many procedures. You know, they might cut up something off of somebody's face or do an injection here or there. But mainly they, you know, a patient comes in with a cough and they see them and they manage them. And, you know, the RVU factors aren't that big for that. So there's inconsistencies in that fee schedule. Mm -hmm. And those have to be corrected as well. And a lot of the efforts over the last several years, I think value-based care, MACRA, putting incentives on doctors that are face-to-face -face with patients, you know, kind of helps the situation. There was also an attempt through the Medicare physician fee schedules. There was some revaluing of codes a few years ago to put more money to primary care physicians and others. Of course, it takes it away from subspecialists because the pie yeah. doesn't grow. So those have all been efforts over the last five, six, seven years to try to rebalance that. I don't know if it ever gets rebalanced. So what, you know, what are the groups that you're meeting with at your conferences doing to handle the reimbursement compression you bring up mips and macra maybe some of them are trying mm -hmm. to get some of those value-based care payments i don't know if you're seeing a lot of that being adopted maybe you can share a little bit about that or well, you know you're sure you're also passionate about 
potentially other models that groups could be thinking about? Um, yeah. What are you seeing? Well, so macro was passed. Again, I'm not going to say the year because I won't remember it. I'll get it wrong. I think it was 2014. But basically as a way to provide an opportunity for physician groups to earn a little bit extra, develop performance measures. One of the things that we have found out since then is that MACRA and MIPS, you could argue that it doesn't really fit into radiology real well. A lot of the measures are based on things physicians that are patient facing do. So, I mean, yeah, there are MIPS measures that um, radiologists can meet, but not as much as some other physicians, surgeons and others have opportunities. So that hasn't worked out real well for radiology. Our board just in uh, April at our annual meeting approved a motion to develop a radiology alternative payment model. So something that we have recognized that Congress and the committees in Congress that manage healthcare are looking for ways to solve this issue in the fee schedule or outside of the fee schedule. So we're looking at the development of a voluntary program that radiology groups could participate in, where perhaps you would establish a benchmark in a group in terms of performance, and then the group would be judged against that benchmark and have an opportunity to maybe sharing some savings or get additional payments if they meet or exceed those benchmarks. So it's something that is in its real infancy with RBMA. We've just established a subcommittee to look into this. We have a couple of consultants we're working on. We're working with the ACR. They're very supportive of this effort as a group of business professionals come together and say, hey, you know, we need to help solve this as well. We need to have at least something on the table. It may not be the end product, but Congress is looking for answers. The Physician Caucus in Congress, the Doctors Caucus last year in the fall under Doctors Barra and Bouchon, they issued a request for information on are there ways for us to resolve this issue on the physician fee schedule? RBMA responded, as did several other groups. So that that's going to be interesting conversation as we go through the year here and into next year. Really interesting. You, you say productivity benchmarks. Do you have any early ideas of how that might work or what you guys might be looking for in terms of, you know, ways to drive savings? Well, yeah, some of the things we would look at or suggest would be measures like, you know, appropriate measures. Are we working with referring physicians like through clinical decision support and appropriate use criteria? Have we, and we have developed systems, they just are not utilized totally now, but how do we use those? Are those helping drive a group? to meet a certain benchmark. Obviously, developing outcomes measures are very, very important. Care coordination with other subspecialists are very, very critical in terms of of radiology cost and trying to reduce costs. Maybe even things like um, health equity measures. You know, how are we developing health equity within the system for uh, groups of people that can't get radiology or that are missing their mammography screening and those types of things. So just looking at a whole group of quality measures that perhaps are more focused than some of the MIPS measures are now and that radios can actually participate in and meet and develop benchmarks or develop some value and rewards going forward. Well, and I think it's critically important and, you know, from my discussions with private practice leaders over the past 
they all say, yeah, we looked at MIPS and MACRA. It turns out we can't quite meet all the measures or the cost to try and meet it, you know, kind of vastly outweigh the right. benefits. So finding ways for radiology to have a seat at the table is important. I think bringing the coordination together is also a key piece of it. So I think partnering with right. ACR and other practice leaders, both I think you guys do a good job representing a lot of small, you know, mid-sized private practices. How do you also bring in large conglomerate style practices and everyone in between and, you know, find something that, that works for people. Yeah. Um, most of the, you know, most of the MIPS measures, they were supposed to provide this kind of increased payment to high performers. But what we found out and what Congress has found out is that there's this huge middle tier of physician groups that just can't kind of play in the, in the game. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, that doesn't mean every practice should get big enough so that they can play in the game because there's models all over the country, especially in rural areas where practices aren't that big. So it's a balance and we're trying to, you know, find that balance, find that right sweet spot. Yeah. Well, and I imagine your experience working in the state Senate kind of uniquely prepares you for such efforts. What was that experience like? What have you learned that could maybe help others who are passionate about this area you know i read a lot of twitter a lot of radio oh, you do? twitter okay well, and thank, I'll tell thankfully you, i didn't serve when there was social media yeah twitter. yeah yeah well. and i think there's a lot of people on radiology twitter mm. that will mm -hmm. voice their discontent about things yeah how do you pull all that together in a way that's then impactful you know as you mentioned like like at the start of the show you know where you found the right senator who could you know affect the change well you know, government isn't like the West Wing, you know, not every problem gets <laughs> solved in 45 minutes. Regrettably, most people think it does, you know. One of the things I learned, oh, I thought it was interesting when I was new in the Senate, was that so much of state legislation or or the bills we worked on had to do with things that, that happened at the federal level, that then the states all had to adjust their laws to meet, you know, so we would pass a lot of legislation that was just nobody paid any attention to, but we had to tweak things because the federal government, you know, the Department of Transportation did this, so therefore we had to do that. There's a lot of that that happens in state government, a lot. And and also yeah. in local government, you know, you got to pass some ordinance because, you know, the state passed a law, the federal. So that's that's kind of interesting in terms of the machinations of, of government. But for me, I mean, it was for me, obviously, a, um, a real keystone of my life serving in the state Senate at that level. I was fortunate enough to get appointed to the Capital Spending Committee, the Bond Bill Committee in Delaware, and then the Joint Finance Committee that wrote the budget. So I spent a couple of years on each one of those committees. So that was really helpful and interesting on how the state balances their budget on the revenue and spending sides, you know, how those are negotiated in a room with 12 people and, you know, who needs <laughs> what. And we can get a little more revenue here, you know. Nicola can on beer generates a lot of revenue. And every once in a while, you just got to tax beer and nickel a can. I know that wouldn't be helping in Utah where you are. Um, <laughs> Pennsylvania does not have a beer tax, which is amazing to me. Wow. But uh, that's just one. As someone who's lived in Pennsylvania, that's a lot of lost revenue. There's that's a lot, a lot of lost revenue. During those yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, nickel a can Anheuser-Busch, not so much. So, you know, one of the things that I appreciate because I've served on it is that you know, everybody has kind of their own interest and their own folks they represent. And at some point, you have to kind of put those aside and govern. And governing's a really hard thing. 
we see it now so much because of social media and the 24 seven news cycle. I mean, I, I don't know how those folks can govern because I think it's very, very difficult to get into that room and sit down and have that conversation on the federal level. You know, the recent debt ceiling deal, you know, it's, at some point the president and his people had to have that conversation with the speaker and his people. And then it, the ball started rolling and you hear about all these side stories about this person likes that person or they had a connection or, you know, and it kind of got things going. Guess what? That's how it's always happened, you know? Yep. And, you know, you can read back in our history and, you know, the big deal of wh where will the capital be? Well, it ended up being down Virginia because the guys in Virginia were powerful and wanted it there, but they had to agree to Hamilton's idea for refinancing the government, you know, that kind of thing. So, they got into a room and they figured it out. And it's still the best way for our government and for a democracy to do things. And so I'm a big believer in that. And as now a person that does advocacy for physician groups, you know, at some point you have that right conversation with a member of Congress about an issue, let's say mammography. You'd mentioned that there, there's a bill in Congress called the Find It Early Act, which would forbid any patient copay or deductible for advanced women's imaging. So, you know, a woman comes in and gets a mammography screening. They find an issue. You got to go back for a diagnostic mammography. About 40% of the, the women that have an issue don't go back for that advanced breast imaging, the diagnostic mammo, because there's a potential copay of up to $1,200 on the average. Wow. So they don't get it done. So, you know, you know what happens? It gets worse maybe, or, you know, gets worse. Now the bill goes up because there's a cancer there. So, you know, they really are health equity issues. Yeah. And if someone wanted to get involved in that, how would they, how would they get involved? Well, we, RBMA has a federal affairs committee, which is really important. They're the group that kind of reviews all of our stances on legislation. They help develop the comment letter for the Medicare physician fee schedule every year really knowledgeable group of volunteers. And also our um, Radiology Patient Action Network, we have uh, developed a website called don'tcutdocs.com that we activate. It'll be going here at year end because we're going to be faced with cuts again this year. And we ask, we ask our members just to go on that and respond. That message is sent to your member of Congress through the magic of artificial intelligence. We know every, where everybody lives. So those are really, really important. We had 7,000 messages sent to members of Congress last year from our members and their physicians. And we think that has an influence. You know, we think that's really important, like all groups do. But we feel very proud of the fact that we've been able to generate that type of grassroots support over the last several years. We work closely with a coalition of radiology organizations, including the American College of Radiology. We have monthly calls with them about issues and how do we manage those issues. They are very skilled and adept and know what I call the inside the beltway game. And yeah. we think we're very skilled and adept at developing a grassroots network that can support their fine work on Capitol Hill. So that's, we think we have a role in that and, and that's very important. And the other thing is that we, our radiology professionals, our business professionals play a really key role in terms of providing data that then the college can use in their advocacy so we all have roles to play and we try to play those roles very well. So we've talked a lot about how billing has changed since yeah. you've been in, in the industry. 
yeah. a lot has changed on the practice of radiology, of yeah. course, as well. You know, as you kind of look forward, do you look forward with excitement about oh. the field of, of radiology? Yeah, I mean, there's so many interesting things. You know, artificial intelligence, you could do two or three podcasts on that, and I'm sure you have. And I know Modality Works, part of your your product is based on that. That's just a really exciting area. I have found just the clinical technology to be so fascinating in my history. I mean, I started in radiology in 92. So to put that into perspective, in 1981, our oldest son was born. And that was the very early days of ultrasound. So, you know, now your wife gets pregnant and she gets, I don't know how many ultrasounds, you know, your wife got a bunch of ultrasounds, right? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, not and so much three. back then. I, I, yeah. I've got three, not seven yet, but uh... yeah, not you. <laughs> uh, the next four are no big deal, but um, you know, I saw the the advancement of cross-sectional imaging, CT, MRI. They're bringing in a PET scanning, you know, and then that now is more advanced with CT, PET, CT scanning. But as I was saying, the advancement of the clinical imaging is fascinating. And it says a lot about radiology's role in diagnosing something in the human body at a very early stage so that then, you know, another specialty, they could be treated or fixed or, you know, you know, that goes a long way to saying people are going to live longer. If we can find it earlier, people will live longer. And that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. I mean, the use of artificial intelligence and billing and revenue cycle management is fascinating to me. And we all like it. You get the bill on your phone. You can pay the bill with your phone. Don't have to get a letter in the mail. That's kind of interesting from one that, you know, came from paper. <laughs> well, and it's it's such a great point because yeah. at the end of the day, technology will follow behind where the capital is. And yeah. there's a lot of data in billing, there's a lot of problems in revenue cycle management. And so, yeah. you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about getting a general intelligence for diagnosing scans and what we're going to get is better, faster, easier billing. Right. But it turns out we're pretty bad at billing and we're pretty yeah. good at diagnosing yeah. things as humans. So, you know, uh, it's, re- it's really interesting. You talk about telling a story to folks in public policy, whether it's staff or, or elected leaders. I think it's important to tell the physician and the patient billing story because it's somewhat, it's complicated. It's hard to explain to people why a patient who is insured has a copay or a deductible. Let's face it. Most folks that are working that have insurance pay no attention to their insurance until they need to use it. And then are mm-hmm. shocked that there's a, oh, I had a thousand dollar copay. I didn't know that. Well, that's shame on the doctors for billing that. I'm like, well, it's your insurance company. You have a con, you know, you bought the insurance. It's a thousand dollar copay. So I think because health insurance is complicated and because generally people don't have to use it until they have to use it, they don't understand it. And so explaining that to public policy people is very, very important. And we do a lot of that. I'll tell you a story. I I was, uh, there was an issue around ultrasound payments through Medicare that were getting ready to drop. And we were, we were working on the issue and we had a meeting in the office of management budget in DC and you know, our folks were there. Uh, there were about six people in the room and and the young office of management budget staffers were there. There was a woman that was kind of the leader of their team that was a little more mature. And uh, we're talking about ultrasound. And I, and I kind of paused. I said, you know, how many of you have ever had an ultrasound? Well, 
only the woman had, you know, she was old enough to have kids. Nobody else said, I said, in fact, you probably haven't been to the doctor in the last five years. Well, that's right. We're, you know, we're 31, we're healthy. <laughs> so well, this is what an ultrasound is. And you really have to start at that level with yeah. a lot of folks uh, handling public policy because they haven't had that experience. And it's really important that you do that. They don't understand it. So that's what we try to do is explain it that way. Or that's what well, I try to do. That's really smart. You get a bunch of 25 year old staffers making medical decisions for 70 year olds on Medicare. It's so, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, look around Congress. Huh? <laughs> you know, on the nightly news, when they're interviewing, you know, Senator so-and-so, look at the people standing behind them. They're not, you know, they're pretty young, <laughs> pretty young, smart, young people. Well, last question for you, you know, mm -hmm. what advice do you have for the young business leaders, young mm -hmm. radiologists, you know, maybe they're wanting to build a practice, rise up in their practice. Sure. What, what advice would you have for them as they embark on their careers? Well, for the young radiologist, I think it's important that they appreciate Number one, they have a license to practice medicine that is invaluable. It's worth more than they think it is. And no matter what kind of practice you go into, it's about the practice of medicine. If you do that well, everything else will follow. And it's a long career. You can't figure it out on day one, but you're going to make very good money compared to most people. You're going to live a very nice life. Don't sweat, you know, this year I made X, but next year I made X minus Y, but next year I might make X plus Y. You know, don't, it's a long career and you got to look at it that way. It's it's a marathon. And, you know, challenge yourself. The doctors that I worked for challenged themselves clinically. They brought on all these new modalities. They would get excited about studies. And I would encourage our young physicians to continue that. Get excited about the work you do because it's really fascinating work and you're saving people's lives. That's really what it comes down to. For the business professionals, this is a wonderful career. You work with smart people. It's challenging on the financial side to make sure that the, you know, 15, 20, 100, 3,000 doctors you work with are getting paid every month. But it's a fascinating, challenging career because you're working with science and technology. And you're also working with the patients who need your focus and need you to do that right so they can get to the next paycheck, that type of thing. So I, I would encourage folks that are thinking about a career in management that physician practice management is a great career to have. So I, I'm very um, bullish on that for folks that are, you know, getting an MBA or coming out with a management degree or a business degree. There's a real opportunity here. Again, we're going to need good people in this field. Well said. Well, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks and, for having uh, me, Daniel. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online. 